Quest episode uh, 188. I'm your host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, pull my devil trigger again, uh, David McBurney, Fanboy Master. And your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaijin Minogatari. And we're back, and it's been a saga filled week. What a saga. Not for not for playing it, but for news about it. And that's yes. all that matters. Is okay, so on a scale of one to ten, how surprised were we? Twelve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eleven. Like I thought that we might get a re-release someday, but what they're putting into it is like the kind of thing where if you told me like, oh yeah, that's gonna happen, it would be like, please don't lie to me this blatantly. Please have some respect for my intelligence. They're I mean, not putting like, use back in this game. <laughs> I mean, it's like they're not. I mean, it's being referred to as a remaster, but they're literally creating it from the bottom up and just yeah. making it look as much like the original as possible. Uh, is, that, is that how I was reading it? It seems like I, I would imagine it's using some of the original code, but I mean, like the art assets seem to have all been retouched in a way that doesn't look completely hideous which is rare and no, I, mean, uh, I mean the, the japanese sites i was looking at were specifically saying they remade it and decided to keep it looking like the original not huh. they took the original graphics and improved them interesting yeah yeah there's not a lot of english information on this so you're gonna have better information than we do like the english information we've got about this is basically like a couple of press releases that are likely that are that are pretty scant and that trailer so yep well i can confirm that uh, what's his name benny matsuyama the guy who wrote the short novels for the saga frontier and romancing saga um mm. perfect guides is the guy behind all of the new scenarios and including fuse's entire story mm-hmm. so which That's i mean i think he was on the writing staff for the original game anyway which is why he wrote the novels yeah that happens a lot yeah. it feels like so but um it's i'm trying to remember here i mean aside from obviously fuse and most likely loot actually getting a story this time <laughs> the other thing they seem to be highlighting is just in restoring content to a Salas's scenario yeah there were some ish I mean, there were some things that were cut from a Salas, including i think there was an alternate way of getting out of um, the Mystic Realm originally. Yeah, and there, I think was there was that. Supposed, there was supposed to be some extra story connected to a character named Furdo in the Magic Kingdom who was a mystic. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things I specifically remember from her story being cut. Yeah. Um, most of the others, uh, of the other main characters didn't have that much cut, or if it was, it was very minor trimming. Yeah, they're more just, uh, or less finished. It's those. It's the removal of fuse, what they did to Asalis's, and the essentially loot might as well not have even bothered coming here. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, for those for those who have missed out on this glorious news, Saga Frontier Remastered Yay. was announced for summer 2021 on PS4 and Switch. Yes. Uh yeah. I breathe a contented sigh. Um, I mean, if they had just announced, hey, we're going to port this, I would have been I would have been very happy to just yeah. have it on Switch as it was. Just like, uh, oh, at least I can play it again. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm yeah. like over the moon for this. Like, so, 
Um, for other things, I'm willing to bet that they're going to have some under-the-hood alterations for things like monster mm -hmm. evolutions. Oh, probably, because those are yeah. confusing at the best of times. And I think the, yeah. I can't remember how the Frontier system works, but I recall it being even more confusing, so. It was, uh, Saga Frontier was basically monsters could, like, drain abilities off of other monsters after the battle was won. And their oh, current yeah. form was based on both the types of abilities they had and the order that they had them on their ability sheet and a few other weird things. It was kind of confusing. Um, yeah. But, I mean, um, I mean, when they remade Saga 2, one of the first things they did was streamline and improve that monster transformation system. So I'm assuming they're probably going to want to try something similar. Wouldn't surprise me. would probably be a huge boon to, like, Ricky's story, for one. Yeah. Uh, what else can we glean from that trailer? The translation seems largely similar, although there's a few things where it's like, seemingly changed in ways that it, they're going to have to translate some stuff from whole cloth anyway. So I imagine that they're at least touching up the original translation. Yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting I'd, to see where they go with it. I'd imagine that they would probably do it just a pretty good proofreading of the stuff that's available, fix yeah. anything that really sticks out um, and then fit in the new translated stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the original translation is not amazing, but it's not horrible. I mean, like, usually what was confusing in the translation was also kind of confusing in the original, so. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's Saga Frontier. Uh, I, I have a profound fondness for that one in particular because it feels like the most ungroundedly weird of them all, outside of Unlimited. Yes, it, it is... It is very much the weirdest one of the entire series. Which is Just really by how, I mean, they, they took Final Fantasy Legend 2's concept of multiple worlds just floating out in space, and they ran with it. Like, it was now, like, every everyone in this society just sort of accepts that that's the world they live in. And, like, you know, sometimes you just move from world to world, and that's, that's normal. That happens. <laughs> It's a, it's it's a world that there's a lot of stuff to find out about, but it's not super concerned with making sure that you actually understood it all because it's not what it's about. But it's really weird when you find anything about it because all of it's very strange. Mm -hmm. And it also just like the the seven characters involved have such little motivation or interest in what everyone else is doing. Like the degree of crossover here is probably the lightest of any of the ones with multiple characters outside of, again, maybe unlimited. I can't speak for that one, but like, I think the most uh, incredible anything to happen in those, in that game is still just like, Blue essentially being unrecruitable by anyone, and if like Red tries to talk to him, he just he just like recoils at the fact that Red is named Red and's like no. Yeah, he's just he's just a happy little what's the word misanthrope. Yeah, a lovely. Uh, oh, the the thing that I was thinking about when I <laughs> when when this was announced is, oh God, 
gonna have to like listen to the people asking why they didn't fix Blue's ending, who didn't get what Blue's ending was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Saga Frontier. Yep. Uh, May more collection in a few weeks. Yeah, collection of Saga in about a week and a half. Mm-hmm. It's on the fifteenth. Yep. Finally, people uh, people can play uh, Legends 1 and 2 and then maybe sort of stare at 3 for a minute and then maybe not <laughs> play it again. Uh, you, I recommend not playing it. I One of the things that I played Legend 1 a few years ago, one of the things that struck me about that game is that humans in that game kind of work like robots in every other soccer game. <laughs> yeah, because it's all about the uh, the supplements. Yeah, supplements and what weapons they have, and they're just strictly deterministic, so... Yeah. Now, even better is, like, the the hit point boosting supplements only work up to the number on the um, on the item, so if you have a HP 50, you can just keep giving it to your human until they hit 50 hit points, at which point it gives almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird system, and it's probably for the best that they turned it into the more transparently deterministic robots and turned humans into the... Yeah. the well, the, the, after that, they worked like FF2. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I mean, the mutants in Final Fantasy Legend 1 worked like humans in Final Fantasy Legend 2. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they just they just use that system for both instead of just for mutants. Yeah, except mutants in FF Legend 1 are as arbitrary are even more arbitrary than usual because like they'll just they'll learn a skill it'll replace an arbitrary skill uh sometimes uh they'll learn the same skill twice and it just takes up two spaces now they they'll do that in final fantasy legend 2 as well just not as often yeah yeah i think you have like some influence on it in 2 though like in terms of what it'll overwrite but oh yeah it'll just override the the last ability on the list if you already have four yeah, whereas in Legend 1, it, it can overwrite anything. Yeah. It's it's a very strong... Like, mutants are Russian roulette. Anything, like... <laughs> Russian roulette, if you have... If you are both randomizing what fires out of the gun and what the gun is pointed at. Like, mm-hmm. anything could happen with a mutant after battle. Yeah. They might get an incredible skill that makes the battle a cakewalk, and then three battles later, that skill might go away. Yes. They may have an awesome skill for a long time and then replace it with a skill that does nothing. Yep. Uh, by intent or not. Yeah. It's, uh, they're, they're weird. Uh, I, I would recommend... Uh, oh, and then, of course, there's monsters, which are... Useless in one. Yeah, uh, they they kind of fixed them for the remake, as I recall. But uh, even in that, you're gonna have to the the Wonder Swan remake that we're not getting. But uh, even in that case, you needed basically a, a big, a big old flowchart that you were following very carefully. Yep. Actually, didn't the flow didn't? Oh, I'm thinking monster transformation charts that actually came with the the packaging in the original game. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't know about that. Yeah, so the Saga Cup runneth over. Uh, And I need to know, 
What story is everyone going to play first when they play uh, Saga mm. Frontier Remastered? It's going to be either Loot or Fuse just to see. Yeah. I was wondering why I couldn't hear anyone, and then I realized I'd pulled out my headphones. Whoops. <laughs> uh, I think I'm just going to go with Loot. Start there. Like, cause why just to just to see if there's anything the, there now. Because he's yeah. the one that you don't want to start with first with the original game. Right. See if he gets uh, any fixes to make him have something to do other than everyone else's side quests. Just go 15 minutes into his game and see if there's a plot hook. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I probably... I mean, past that point, anything that happens to him is going to be new. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'll probably start with uh, probably start with red because that's who I first picked in when we picked up the original game in like 1998 or whenever. And uh, I don't know, just nostalgia basically. <laughs> and also, ha ha ha, common writer. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's basically what that plot is. Oh, it is so Tokusatsu. Yes. I think uh, I looked at, uh, I was reading about it, and it's like the villain organization that's like in the English version, it's spelled Black X, but it's probably supposed to be pronounced Black Cross, and that's literally a villain organization from like one of the first Super Sentai. <laughs> that I would believe. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. It's like, it's fun. I I remember starting up the game and getting like this. Uh, like the incensed, consternated red complaining that uh, that Al Kaiser had dressed him up like an idiot while he was asleep. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fun story. Uh, I, I'd say that it's a relatively it's one of the ones that's like directed enough that it's relatively simple to start with. It's like that and T two sixty G. Yeah, are kind of relatively easy to start with, especially since T two sixty G can just equip stuff and he gets stronger yeah so oh, that, that was makes me wonder is the junkyard bug still going to be in there oh man i hope gold it's, still doesn't work or it, like it still has its strangeness the, the tokonomics yeah. yeah no it was like um you actually had to plan out how you were going to sell the gold and where and it would alter the value i could and see them like, leaving that in somebody somebody tried to model um, a particular type of commodities investment um, algorithm into the game, and it, it just worked out weird. That kind of commodities investment is really complicated. Yeah, which is, I believe, let me check. I'm pretty sure it actually has its own FAQ on GameFAQs. I'd believe it. Yeah. Yeah. As for the junkyard bug, um, there was a. I can't remember exactly how it's done, but there was a way to accidentally. Uh, it's like grab free items from the junkyard and sell it back to the junkyard guy for ridiculous <laughs> amounts of cash. Nice. And um, because of this, it was possible for um, it was possible for loot to just go around recruiting a bunch of robots and fit them out with ridiculously high level equipment, and then go on and take out the final boss of his scenario without actually fighting a battle in between <laughs> start to finish. Uh, oh, uh, it's uh, it's been 
22 years and they're still even within the franchise nothing quite like it so yep yep Yeah, uh, even even Frontier Two is like almost the opposite kind of game. Yeah, I was well, gonna say. I mean, Frontier Two was made by a different studio, actually. Oh, interesting. I yeah, assume I mean, it was, there's it was still made Kawazu with involvement. But... I mean, it was made with Kawazu's blessing, and he says he really enjoyed what they did with it, but he didn't actually have direct input into the entire game. Huh. Yeah, I think he's listed as like a producer on it or something. Yeah. Frontier so, uh, 2 feels more in line with a Saga game than, say, Saga 3 does, but it definitely does feel like a different kind of game. Yeah. yeah. I do still want it to come out, though, uh, to come out again, though, because I do think it's a really interesting Ooh. game. Oh, yeah. But now, since we're talking about future items and quite possibly impossible items, how do you think they would fix Unlimited Saga? <laughs> uh... I don't think you could produce a recognizable product. Well, I mean, I'm thinking just take the plot line... Because it had some interesting in plots, and the entire festival um, FMV sequence, because that was awesome, mm-hmm. and just um, redo it from the ground up. Yeah, I th- yeah. I think what you could do is just gut the original the battle system in that game, replace it with Scarlet Grace's battle system. That Maybe. would actually with, that would good. fix a lot with some additions, and then for like exploration, they would need to redo the interface and do things like not having to pl- press R three to rest because you know like that's too important of a concept for it to be bound to that weird of an input. Yeah, like there's no reason for a turn based RPG to ever use pressing R3 in the, f- for the freaking thumbsticks. Really. <laughs> yes. And wheels was sent to the pit below again. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's a weird thing. Like it's a complicated game that makes itself seem more complicated by its complete failure to explain itself. And it's also a really obviously heavily compromised game. So yeah. I'd be very interested to see what ideas they have for fixing it. But I mean, I figured this would, this is, going to be one that will turn out like the Saga 3 remake where the developers state outright that, yeah, our first question is, how much of this can we change and get away with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think for Unlimited Saga, there's very little... There's very few sacred cows about that game that they couldn't immediately slaughter. Yeah. Uh, well, I, one thing that would definitely help fix the game, would go a bit towards doing that, Yeah. uppercase G. Yes. Yeah, that <laughs> honestly feels like a choice that they made when they like looked at the product that they were about to release and realized that it was like, this is out there even given the franchise. Yeah. Like the lowercase yeah. g feels like a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel like if we see them break out an uppercase g for the logo, that'll mean that if they if that game ever happens. That would be the indication that they feel that they have made significant enough alterations to it for it to be a proper saga. Mm. And hopefully they can just sort of port Minstrel, Minstrel Song uh, over with, you know, maybe some quality of life, life updates. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Minstrel Song, I just want on the Switch. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, that, 
I've yeah. played that on PS2 recently. It looks perfectly fine. They don't need to change a damn thing, in my opinion. It looks great. It plays great. Yeah. It's one of the most complete games in the franchise. <laughs> it is, in fact, the most complete game in the franchise because they made sure of it. As far as I know, there was only one thing lost between the, tra- the transition from Super Famicom, and that was a very minor character in Barbara's quest line. Yeah. Actually, actually, Barbara doesn't actually have a quest line. Just a random character she could pick up. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they monkeyed around with it a bit anyway, because I feel like that's the kind of uh, the kind of designer that Kawazu is. But I would imagine that they would stick much. It would be like Saga Two remake, where they're like, "This is mostly fine the way it is. We just want to make little changes to it." <laughs> yeah, maybe just maybe just tweak the graphics just a little more to make it look even better. Yeah. But I, I would love to just have Menstrual Song on the Switch. Yes. And, you know, maybe maybe put the DS game somewhere out that people can actually play them as well. That would be yeah, nice. Yeah, that would be sweet. <laughs> that's getting greedy, though. That's that's many years in the future if we get it at all. So. Yeah. They've really been going at these, like, Saga, like, re-releases and updates, though, in, like, a fashion that makes it clear that, like, I think Kawazu just wants to use what power he has in Square Enix to make sure that these games are still available. <laughs> yeah, Which, I mean they're his babies. Yeah, like I was, I uh, like one of the things that I don't know. Uh, like this is very much a sentiment that exists obnoxiously on the English-speaking internet. I'm not sure how much it does in Japan, but one of the things that's been res- that existed in response to this is why does saga re- why do saga remakes get to be this good and the answer is because the guy who made them is still there and still loves them yeah. <laughs> yes these are acts of love he is he is curried enough uh, he is a high up enough member of square that he has the option to sort of uh, spend his like uh, his, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Spend his clout. I was going to say clout sure. is the word I was going to use. Yeah, he can spend his clout on making sure that these games get to come out and, that, and like, still has enough involvement and cares enough about them that he can, like, make sure that they're good re-releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get it helps a lot when you're re-releasing to have, uh, re-making or re-releasing to have people that either worked on the original and know and remember what they wished it could have been mm-hmm. or who uh, didn't work on the original but don't hold the original as sacred. I would say that those are like the two kinds of people I want working on remakes in general. And I think that Saga is an example of the former. Uh very uh, it's, just, it's just very satisfying to see Saga Frontier remastered yeah. uh, very very excited to for for Fuse to be in the game and for him not to tie all of the stories together but to just sort of pass through them <laughs> yeah and I mean I mean I, I, had, I had had it spoiled to me before I actually saw the video but when the video started when i actually saw it and the video started up and it had the original sequence where all the characters get popped into the main screen 
Mm-hmm. And it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> oh. It's like, that, the- I mean, 10 seconds in and you know something's going to be happening. If you were a fan of the game and you were seeing that for the first time and had no foreknowledge and you were just like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. I when I when I woke up and someone like multiple people had like sent me that trailer and I was like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that that was was a good way to wake up. (laughs) It's like 2020. Are you trying to make up for actually 2021? Are you trying to make up for everything your predecessor did? Because you're, you know, you're making a good start on things. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, just an absolutely wild thing to wake up to. And I'm glad that I have cultivated a group of people that understand me well enough to understand (laughs) that I need to have the Saga Frontier trailer sent to me. Also, I appreciate that uh, the way they have updated the title screen just sort of makes the image a little more zoomed out. Which gives the impression that Fuse was always there, just off screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, uh, that trailer is a good reminder that the soundtrack for that game is incredible. Oh, yes, that will be uh, used for this episode, I guarantee you. So, yeah, we're all thrilled. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and I've, I've already... Uh, the, the people I am friends with in real life who did not play it and do not understand Saga have committed to playing it on the basis that they understand that there is a very good chance that they won't end up enjoying it, but they, they want to hear what I'm yelling about. So I respect <laughs> that I have cultivated those friends as well. <laughs> Tell them to start with Amelia. She's probably got the best um, linear cl- um, qu- uh, quest line. Start with that prison break. Yeah, and Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a friend who really wants to start with the robots, but I'll pass along some of the other ones. <laughs> T260G is a decent starter character as well. Yeah. yeah. Damn it, I pulled out my uh, headphones again. I need to change my position so that it's less likely to happen. Excuse me. Hey there, Georgica. Flying through the sky, so fancy free. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm back. But yeah. Uh, saga, 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 saga. So, what has ever been play- everyone been playing recently? A lot, actually. A lot more than I usually have been for the past few months. I've had a bit more extra time. Oh, really? So do uh, a bunch of le- Yakuza, as has been mentioned last week. Yeah. Uh, Probably after okay. I left. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And for a while. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like half an hour yeah. at least. Um, oh. oh, yes. And also um, about last week when I left and threw out a Muso question for you and, and Phil, I do not apologize. I hope you had a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what that was. Well, that was that was partly because uh, you weren't there for quite a while. Oh uh, yes, but uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I took our last question and rerouted it through Musso and threw it to Phil as I was walking out the door. No, don't worry about it. I appreciate it. It gave us something to chew on while we waited for wheels. But yeah, uh, yeah so but yeah I, I was i've been playing a bunch of yakuza i uh as mentioned last week i had unlocked the job system uh i really appreciated that, that one of the pre-order bonuses 
that you got with the English version, uh, if you got the day one edition, was that you got a bunch of costumes for each character that they can equip in, that they can wear in preference to the natural outfit that a job might give them. Uh, and one of Ichiban's is like a Dragon Quest hero's armor, which very fitting. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the implication that the game gives is that like that that armor is of course entirely in his head because he just thinks of himself as a Dragon Quest hero. So, <laughs> but it's it's very fun to start up a battle and have him pull out a really shitty cheap katana that I bought at a novelty store and this like really like nice dragon quest armor suddenly appear on him. Uh, <laughs> the job systems, like, like I mentioned last week, it's pretty fun. Uh, very in line with dragon quest job system. Do not go in expecting like FF five. Cause it's not like that. Uh, but very, very good. Uh, having a lot of fun. Finally went off, ventured far enough north uh, in the map to find the kart racing minigame. Uh, that's very strange, but yes, uh, <laughs> yeah, because it traditionally will have like one or two mini games that get like a series of sub stories devoted to them, and that seems to be it for this game. And it's oh, yeah. it's fun, like it's actually a fun kart racing mini game. So. Uh, it has like customization. You actually have to, uh, you actually can upgrade your card and just do all sorts of nonsense. But of course, there's another uh, side mini game that's business management that I've barely even touched thus far. And that I think you're running like a candy shop or something. It's very strange. Uh, but it does have mini games about like. Uh, apologize. There's an apologize to shareholders mini game. I'm just putting it that <laughs> putting it out there. Uh, so yeah, game still incredible. Still recommended to basically everyone. Um, still has some of the best uh, enemy names I've seen this side of a Dragon Quest title. Uh, I'm still uh completely destroyed by the salary man that is labeled capitalist punisher um but yeah like yeah capital punishment capitalist punisher um but yeah there's just a lot of just that kind of weird uh punnery going on in the enemy's names a lot of them are a little more direct than that one but uh, oh man, it's so good. Uh, played some more of the PS4 Spider Man remaster. Uh, that's still very good. Uh, I had forgotten how much the games, uh, how much the games New York just goes completely to hell in the last act, and also parts of the story become more uncomfortable in the year of our Lord 2020. Um, mm, yes, I, I like the the. The devil's breath part of the plot kind of punched me in the gut. Um, wear a mask. Uh, be responsible. <laughs> and then uh, I also popped in Devil May Cry 5 Special Edition, which is 
Well, I have nothing but kind things to say about it because it's Devil May Cry 5, but more so. Uh, that game is still... I, I was thinking about the mechanics of how, of all things, its plot works. Because uh, Devil May Cry 5 is maybe the first one in the series to have a decent plot. But it's also built on trying to uh, create a satisfying narrative where one did not exist in its predecessors. Mm. <laughs> like, it, it, it sort of goes back and retroactively tries to assign a meaning to the prior plots to sort of create a buildup that didn't exist. And to their credit, it kind of works. <laughs> like it, when you get to the end of that game, it's like, Oh, this, this kind of feels like a payoff, even though I recognize the sleight of hand they're pulling. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. And that game still plays incredibly and the new additions to it are really cool. So, but it's not an RPG, so I won't go into it for too long. But does Dante, like, get a motorcycle thrown at him, as has happened in previous games? Yes, and then he turns it into a weapon. Uh, okay, I have to play this game. <laughs> there are a pair of, like, chainsaw claymores that are technically made out of a motorcycle. Chainsaw Damn. claymores. Has yeah, somebody but... been raiding the Warhammer um, armory for this? The answer is always yes, but in this case, uh, it's it's a little weirder than that, so yes. Um <laughs> But, yes, yeah. but also yes. I mean, if we're yeah, talking pretty... Warhammer 40k, thing is pretty freaking weird. One of my favorite yes. things that I had, like, there there was a bit I just got to in Special Edition that I remembered part of and had forgotten another part of. Because one of, one of the ranged weapons you get, traditionally the ranged weapons are guns. One of them in this game is a hat. Um, <laughs> Odd job. And, uh, the the hat is ridiculous because the hat is not a weapon per se. It's a mechanic wherein you bet that the enemy can't hit. <laughs> because so so first of all the wep- the thing that I'd forgotten is that the weapon is inexplicably called Doctor Faust. Don't know why. Don't think the game has an explanation for that. Uh, but the hat uh, when when Dante gets it, and this is the bit I did remember. He immediately starts doing a Moonwalker Michael Jackson dance for like 30 solid seconds with entirely bespoke animation that never shows up before or after. (laughs) And essentially no character acknowledges it except (laughs) for the character that gave him the hat, who you briefly see uh, after the game cuts away from him dancing. She is pantomiming his dance as well. That's it. That's the only. That's the only response huh. that you get to that nonsense. It's incredible, uh, but the mechanics of the hat are that you can throw it at enemies, and when you throw it at an enemy, it will sit upon that enemy's head, and for as every time you hit it with something that is not the hat afterwards, it drops money. Like it drops a ton of money, but every time you get hit by anything else you drop money. So it become like the hat is less of a way to kill things itself and more a bet that nothing will manage to kill you or hurt you. <laughs> wow. Hori san would be very proud of something that gambling gambly in the game. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, it's honorarily a Dragon Quest game now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I I uh, I love Devil May Cry Five. It's easily the best in the series. And uh, if you if you've ever been intimidated by that kind of action game, it is also one of the friendliest. So maybe give it a shot. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been playing. What have you guys been playing? Well, I just picked up a new game yesterday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. It's one that won't be out in America for another about a month. <laughs> nope, but we, yet we still have an impression of it on the site, thanks to Severin. Nice. Yeah. So I've got Atelier Riza 2 right now. To celebrate, I made pumpkin pie yesterday. Nice. Yeah, while getting things set up on it. And listening to the, um, to the opening animations or opening story line sections. This does make me wonder how common pumpkin pie or uh, similarly spiced uh, sweets are in Japan. <laughs> I mean, well, I was able to get a hold of nutmeg, allspice, and ginger for with no problem. That doesn't surprise me too much. But... Yeah. And I'm using Japanese kabocha squash instead of regular pumpkin. Makes sense. Turns out quite well, in fact. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not that difficult to make. Yeah, it's not difficult to make. I'm just curious, like, if that flavor combination has any sort of uh not outside of the occasional starbucks special mm -hmm. uh, yeah thankfully not hard to actually make so no great loss but yeah. fulfills my curiosity so yeah only done the opening thus far then i'm just getting through it and i mean did you play the first riza no no i have not well um yeah, so she's just gotten to a new city where several of her friends had relocated after the first game, and she didn't recognize one of them at first because it's been three years, and he is about a foot and a half taller now. That's, that's a good way to mark the passage of time, getting tall. Yep. <laughs> yep. But yeah, she literally does not recognize him at, at first. It's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, not far enough along to make a broader impression though well i mean it is it is what it is it's a it's more it's an riza. game yep and it's more riza <laughs> sounds good if you're going to be more of a recent atelier game that's not a bad one to be by all accounts yep i still have to question where riza's fashion sense comes from because those are some very short shorts yeah i've got one answer for you and it's one word and you already know what it is yeah <laughs> Yep. Though I have to, I do have to point out that it was Ellie from the second Italian game who was obsessed with the cheesecake. Literally. It can, it, yeah, yeah. It can, it can, it can come back. Multiple characters can be obsessed with that. Yeah. It's just, it's a different cheesecake in this case. Yeah. Mm, cheesecake. Because I mean, literally in Italian Ellie, if um, when you were trying to make the cheesecake recipe, and if it wasn't of a high enough quality, then Ellie would just polish it off as quality assurance. <laughs> yeah. Which is why her special building in, in Nelke was a cheesecake shop. <laughs> that's, that's cute. I like that. Does make me think of like RPGs with any sort of favorite food mechanic. Cause all I can think of is uh, star ocean, the tales games. Oh yeah. 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 That also had, like, I, I appreciated the ones where you could assign 
different cooks and each of them could have different capacities for different recipes. Yeah. Um, my favorite is still the Sergeant Frog RPG where the ultimate recipe that you can make was actually alien life form okonomiyaki. <laughs> oh man. From the anime, it had a 50-50% had a 50-50 chance of hurting you. <laughs> I mean, because in the anime, they had the bad habit of attacking anyone who tried to eat it. That makes sense. I would fight yeah. for my life if I was a Kone Miyake. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... I mean, it was the best healing item in the game, but it also had a 50-50 chance of killing you. That's, um, that's... There's your gambling. <laughs> yeah. Or not really killing you, just hurting you a bit. Mm-hmm. I remember being upset when I found out that one of the characters' uh, favorite foods in Star Ocean 2 in its original PS1 release was not actually craftable. It's unobtainable. I think they okay. fixed that for the PSP version. Just a very strange thing to have happen. The favorite favorite food mechanic in that is very silly. I just kind of appreciate the idea that it exists. It's basically just that uh, every character has one food in the game that heals them to max whenever they eat it even though for everyone else it gives a fairly mediocre uh, healing boost. So just every character has one of those. Food, an underexplored RPG mechanic. Oh, I There's know a couple time. where that could have done without the food. But... It's true, it's true. So. Battleship Brigade was good, though. If anyone had played that. Neat little indie game from about three years ago. Oh, cool. I played it, but I've heard it's um, good. Adventure Bar Story, where oh, all yeah. the leveling happened because of food. I heard that, that was good, but I never got around to it. Oh, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, part of the development crew came off of um, out of Gust. Ah, uh, that would so, make sense. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's one of my, I can't believe it's not Atelier games. <laughs> Those things that happen every uh, five or so years. Yeah, I mean, it even, uh, you could buy barrels in Adventure Bar Story mm-hmm. to use for different things, and the item's description was just barrel barrel, <laughs> which, I mean, if you are a fan of Atelier, you will get the reference. I can tell there's a joke there. Maybe one day I'll get it. <laughs> Every single game in the main series will let you examine a barrel, and the character will just say, oh, barrel? Ah, every single, I mean, I haven't confirmed it for lies, but I think every other game in the series does it. It's bound to, it's probably in there somewhere, because it'd be weird if they stopped there. Yeah. I mean, it is just a tradition at this point. At some point, it just becomes like, it's it's like, it's not difficult to add in. I mean, you're going to find barrels in a game like that, so. At some point, it would just feel weird not to. Actually, in the uh, in the animation when Ryza is walking into the big city for the first time and she's just staring at stuff and she walks straight into a barrel. <laughs> I'm wondering how many places wheels can get killed in the Dark Souls 2 run. Uh, many different places. This is the early I'm game. I'm noticing. Yeah, no, it's the early I mean, game. I remember. <laughs> I mean, okay. Dark Souls, wasn't that like... Didn't have an... Which one had the prepared to die edition? That's Dark Souls One. Yeah. This Dark is Souls Dark Souls One. Two. 
Uh, this game's actually much more punishing when you die. Um, <laughs> uh, until you find a certain ring. Yeah. Which is relatively Then you have to devote ring space to it. Yeah, but you got four slots this time, so... It's, it's... true. It's like Eternal Ring. Yeah. Beloved video game, Eternal Ring. Ugh. <laughs> uh, so, speaking Even of... Even Kingsfield fans don't like you, Eternal Ring. Speaking of Souls, I've been playing more Demon Souls, and I have more complaints. Oh, God. <laughs> well, of course. Uh, the whole of World 4 is maddeningly stupid and annoying. Which one's four again? Is that the one that starts with the skeletons that cartwheel at you? Yes. Ah, oh, those fuckers. So it's got lots of those that are annoying. It's got stupid ma- flying manta rays that fire like laser shards at you. And has some weird bosses, one of which is a blind hero. As you do. Yeah. Zatoichi, yeah. I do uh, love Zatoichi. But let me think what else. So I finished World 5, which is the Stupid Swamp, mm-hmm. uh, which... Every one of them has a Stupid Swamp in it somewhere. <sighs> yes, the first one is uh, you a really stupid and linear level where you're wandering around rickety um, wooden bridges. And... Which is also in basically every Soul Swamp level. Yes, <laughs> and this is the worst one. And that's followed up by, oh, you have to go in the actual giant swamp, which most of this massive map, and I know it's massive because I've wandered around the actual swamp parts picking up items. It's mostly empty. It's mostly empty, and you have to follow a specific linear path that sucks. And there's spots where you can fall off and then have to wander through the muck and occasionally get poisoned or more frequently get poisoned if you're not equipped with lots of uh, poison resistance gear and it's just so annoying. Does the, this, really here's my curiosity. Game. Here's my curiosity since I, I gave up before bothering with the Demon Soul Swamp. Does it have the indignity of also running like shit like most of the other swamps in the series? No, I think it ran fine in the original. Okay. It probably runs fine now. But yeah, yeah. I was but I mean it was also empty so... <laughs> Like, Dark Souls won me over when I realized that I could skip Blight Town. <laughs> no, Blight Town is stupid, and anyone who plays it is stupid. Sorry. <laughs> like I, I just I walked into the depths and got uh, utterly destroyed by a group of whatever the things that can petrify you are that I hate. Oh yeah, those things suck. Yeah, I got I got petrified by one of those and decided I didn't ever want to go there again. And then I found a back way in. Yep, and that's also your exit because yeah, yeah. Good luck so trying can, to go back just, to the other way. <laughs> you can run in there, grab the like Estus flask uh, upgrade, fight the boss, and never even realize that you missed anything. Yeah, there's never a there's no nothing else to compel you to try to go higher into Blight Town or lower into the depths. and Because, like, like, even if you want to go into the depths to get, like, a mage, they're just right at the beginning. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Swamp and Demon Souls. Uh, the trio of bosses is a trio of... Did you just run out of ideas, really? <laughs> the first one is a giant monster made up of maggots. Oh, boy. That you just use fire against, and it's easy, because otherwise it regenerates. And that's followed up by 
almost the same exact thing. You fight a, it's called the Dirty Golem, which is like a golem with a bunch of flies flying around it, and it throws flies at you. Oh, man. And it's also as slow and boring as the previous boss. Elzebub had a terrible desire for me. The third boss, which I've complained about before, before actually getting to it and remembering exactly how stupid it is, is a cleric that has gone evil that just sits there and murders you with a spell if you get close to her. And you just have to kill her bodyguard knight, and then she'll kill herself. Okay, that's that's dumb. Um, I mean, the knight is really, really hard. Uh, depending on what you're equipped with, uh, I choose chose the route of machine gunning fire magic at him till he died. That makes sense. I hear knights are bad with that. Yes, uh, and it, it it's it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> this game is a baffling mix of stuff so good and so tremendously terrible. That's the Demon Souls promise. <laughs> but I'm marching along towards the end, if I can ever make it through the rest of World 4. Uh, World 3, which is the the best part That's about... That's the tower, right? Yes, that is the, absolutely the best part about that game. Um, that was the coolest world that I got to see. Yeah, like the man-eater thing where you basically fight two gargoyles is really hard, but I don't think it's like a poorly designed fight or anything. It's just And also, that difficult. was the first time they'd done that gimmick, so I yeah. can't fault them for it. <laughs> No, and it works out. It's it's just a tough fight, and you know there's some tricks you can do to kind of like keep some distance between you and the things. And it, but it's just tough. And and then the final boss for that is if you're uh, lucky or unlucky, depending, you have to fight another player as the final boss. Oh, is that the monk? Yep, the monk. Uh, I so. When I when I completed it, um, I did get another player because obviously there's a lot of people playing right now and doing that. That person disconnected, and <laughs> I don't think it connects to another person. So when I got up to the boss, it's just the AI, which is what would happen if um, no one connect. There was like no one. If there was just never anyone there to begin right. with, and that makes it a bit easier. It's still a tough fight because it's still someone acting like a player, which can be uh, quite difficult. Uh, but it is definitely... Uh, like that was always a cool concept. Yeah. And kind of a shame that they never tried it again, but I can kind of see why. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a few degrees easier if you're fighting the AI as opposed to an actual player. So that's what I got, and it was very clear of that. And I finally beat the stupid dragon god, which is... Um, I don't that's know. a bad fight. Um, yeah, let's 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 put a puzzle battle in this game. Um, I remember once hearing that the dragon god fight was kind of left over from an earlier design phase of the game, and it, I'd believe it. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. your uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know at this point to to even who to blame for this. I'm sure Blue Point probably wasn't given a lot of leeway as to change things in here, but someone had had to have considered like looking at this game and realize that there's a lot of stuff in there that was never good and maybe should do something. But mm-hmm. yeah, 
is what it is. It's still an interesting game to to force your way through. And um, I actually don't remember what like the final few bosses are, so that will be interesting. I remember the last boss being kind of interesting, kind of fun. So almost done with that. I've been playing more Yakuza like a dragon, but haven't gotten too much farther in that because the game crashed for me several times doing a resume after a child uh, fired up rogue blocks on the same Xbox. Although I don't know if it was actually because of that or the game just has issues with uh, the quick resume or whatever they, they call that feature. And finally, up uh, today I started up Immortals Phoenix Rising, that Breath of the Wild-like from Ubisoft. I think made by the same team that made Assassin's Creed odyssey i think they're the odyssey at least some of the odyssey team yeah, yeah. and i mean the, it's impossible to miss what the inspiration for this game was you can find some videos out there showing uh more than striking similarities between the two games but <sighs> but thankfully beyond that things on a whole are not that samey it's it's definitely a different different feeling game like it's <laughs> No one would say it wasn't inspired in some capacity, but it at least has its own identity. Yeah, it's it's based on some some semblance of Greek mythology. It's got a bit more humor to it. So, like, the game is narrated by uh, Prometheus and Zeus, um, and they have a bet that, like, if this your character Phoenix can stop, uh, I forget the name of the villain, um, that he'll let Prometheus go. And so there's. As you're going through story bits, there's lots of banter between them. It's uh, mostly comedic, even though the story is, on a whole, relatively serious. But, you know, you get to make your own character. There's a bit more platforming element to it. And the combat is obviously a bigger focus than Breath of the Wild, which you can play most of Breath of the Wild without fighting a lot of things. Yeah. So it's... If I mean, if you love Breath of the Wild, I definitely would highly recommend it because it seems very polished and will kind of largely scratch that same itch. Even though, if like I said, it's it's got its own feel to it, but um, yeah, it looks really good. I played it on the Series X and it looks <laughs> fantastic, and played it a bit on the Switch and it does not seem to have any performance issues. And you can do uh cross save between the two it has an online oh that's interesting yeah it has <laughs> this is a new thing that ubisoft seems to be doing with all their games is um you can do an online save and that can be pulled from uh any version of the game on any platform so i mean nice. most of the time that's not going to come in handy but for something like this you can play if I mean, you have to buy two copies of the game, obviously. If but, you're a, if you're a weirdo like Wales, yes. But <laughs> then you can get get your cake in four 4K and eat it on the go too, essentially. And uh, yeah, it seems seems really good. We'll see if it stays that way the rest of the game. But I mean, uh, all the reviews of it have seemed really positive, and um, it seems like it's only going to get better as it goes. So. We shall see. And yeah, I've been messing around with some other Dark Souls games as well. Um, 
as I've been playing Demon's Souls. And so we'll probably do a playthrough of two and hopefully actually finish three finally, maybe. Goddamn three. <laughs> it's become my Moby Dick at this point. <laughs> You will never finish video yeah. games. If I if I don't finish Demon Dark Souls three at some point, I'm just gonna go insane. You gotta do it. Yeah. I gotta be there yelling at you. You get a little further each time. You got to the Abyss Watchers last time. <laughs> yeah. And that's a mean fight. That is a mean ass fight. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that seems to be our questions. I should, or what we've been playing, so we should probably look at uh, any questions we may have received. <laughs> yeah, it's a little tardy getting that episode up, so I don't know if we have any fresh questions. Yeah, there might be one for the previous uh, episode anyway, so I'll check both. Mm -hmm. Let's see, uh, Let's nothing see. on the most recent episode, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh... Yeah, uh, looks like nothing that we haven't answered already. So let's check the Discord just in case. I'm a, I'm a person that thinks about things before he does them. Oh, here we go. Actually, I have something on podcast. Yeah, there is something in here. Oh, from Fireminer. Uh, yeah, Fireminer brings up some questions that I suspected we had, in fact, read already, but we felt like talking about them again. We had forgotten to mark them down, so apologies. Yeah. Oh, got one from Platium 3 here. It's a RPGs where the main protagonist is not human or even humanoid in appearance. RPG? Hmm. Saga Frontier, T260G. Yeah, pretty much. Basically just and a Ricky, box. And Ricky's got a humanoid form. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, it's it's really rare. It's it's hard to get uh, humans to project on things that aren't human. Um, uh, Cthulhu, Cthulhu saves the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. And Christmas. And Christmas. Um, Live alive. One of the among the scenarios had a little robot protagonist. Yeah. Live Alive is basically an honorary saga game in my brain. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, bu 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 bu. Let's see. Pal Shinken Densetsu had a dog as the main character, and he was a an actual dog for the first part of the game, but he was human for the rest of it. Well, now I feel cheated. Oh, <laughs> uh, wouldn't be the first thing that I felt cheated by in that game. Let's see. <laughs> um, there was a PS... Um, PlayStation title called Magical Medical, where you were an anthropomorphic uh, pill. Basically, you were medicine. Huh? Huh. It was a, it was this weird little roguelike where the dungeons were people's bodies and you were hunting down viruses. Huh. It was also really, really, really early PlayStation 3D graphics, really awful looking. And I, I I think about six months ago, I actually found a website that lets you emulate it on your computer directly through the web browser. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Well, I still I have it on disc. Let's see. What else? <laughs> um, 
That's Sonic the Hedgehog RPG, depending on how anthropomorphized we're considering Sonic. <laughs> I mean, where it's not human in one way or another. Um, let's see, any of the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games? Oh yeah, you just sort of play it like uh, whatever Pokemon you should start as. Yeah, uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Well, that one you're technically human, but you're shaped like a frog half the time. Uh, let's see. Um, Gargoyles Quest for oh, Game yeah. Boy. And technically, and and that's usually counted among the RPG or roleplay gestalt. Um, but it's got RPG mechanics in it, certainly. Yeah. Uh, same with its uh, sequels, Gargoyles Quest Two and Demons Crossed. Yeah. Although I think uh, Demon's Crust is, has fewer RPG-esque mechanics. still has a Mode 7 world map, which I think honorarily makes anything on the Super Nintendo an RPG. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Anything else that would count as non-human um I'm, I'm i'm going to assume that inappropriately sexy androids don't work don't count no those. that's that's still human shaped yeah so it's near key. two's out okay near two is out let's see um cat you quest spend... oh yeah cat you... quest two yeah. <laughs> uh, your character in Makai Kingdom is technically a demon lord, but spends most of the game as a book. Okay. Uh, we'll count that. that. Yeah, well, <laughs> that'll work. Um, oh. It's something weird. Let's see. Not human or reasonably humanoid. Or former human, because otherwise uh, Breath of Death Seven would count. Yeah, former human. <laughs> yeah, post-human. This is what it means to go further beyond. Uh... Um, natural peepopa. Nope, never heard of it. Yeah, it's one of those I picked up just because I had heard, I had reported on it in Japan Demonium years ago, and I finally found it. I cannot, could not believe I had actually found it, so I just played it and reviewed it, and it's, yeah. <laughs> it's there. Let's see. Mm. I'm thinking of, like, things that aren't RPGs, where this is slightly more common... Still not common, but slightly more. Uh, uh, Echo the Dolphin. Echo the Dolphin. Uh, magic oh, oh, Pen. Oh, good. Uh, oh, I almost forgot. Rocket Slime. Oh, yeah. Not even slightly humanoid. Nope, but adorable. Uh, magic Pen Gel, the quest for color. Okay. The protagonist of the story about in that game technically implicitly revolves around a human, but the things that you play as are whatever you happen to draw a viewer. So, yeah. you know, maybe maybe it'll be human. Who knows? Oh, crap. <laughs> What's up? It's the pursuer. Oh, of course. There's always a pursuer. Um, but, yeah. Um, 
Pangel, uh, Dog's Life for your PlayStation 2. Don't play that one. Um, woof, 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 woof. Dog's Life is a weird-ass game. If you must expose yourself to it, maybe look up the... There was a GDQ run of it a few years ago, I think. That is absolutely a game where you play as a dog and you most... It somehow ends with you turning an evil human into dog food. Huh. Okay. Weird-ass game. Um, okay. That's the thing. It's, uh... Yeah, it's, it's something. I love this Wikipedia sentence. Jake the dog farts, sending her falling onto the conveyor belt where she is taken through the machinery, which turns her, excuse me, into cat food. But when because do you the meet... evil plot of this lady was that she was kidnapping dogs to turn them into cat food. Jake the dog, but where's Finn the human? You don't want either of the things that you're thinking about to be involved in this fucking video game. <laughs> Not recommend but, but the fun will never end. The fun ends the second that you turn this video game on. Do not play it. Maybe witness it once, just to uh, take in its confusion. Uh, but yeah, I feel like you get a bit more of this in things that aren't RPGs because they typically uh, require less uh, human. They're not typically, but they they are more likely to uh, have less investment in the human aspect of the plot. So you can kind of get away more with uh, you're just gonna be a ball in this. Let's all be ball and pl- let's all be a ball and play smart ball. Everyone remembers Smart Ball, right? Of course. No. Is that related to the the Happy Fun Ball? If only. Now I'm thinking yeah. about games where you play as a ball. Uh, Let's all think about Tama, Adventurous Ball, and Giddy Labyrinth. That doesn't sound okay. real. It's a real game. Why? It was a PS1 and Saturn launch game in Japan. Uh, it's... It's one of my favorite, like, anyone... I I think I've talked about this, like, two or three years ago, but anyone who wants to see the epitome of what, like, early-ass PlayStation and Saturn games look like, go look up the opening cutscene to that, because it's uh, unintentionally profoundly surreal. Hmm. Yeah. More video game protagonists that are just orbs with smiley faces on them. Wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's about all I can name for... I think we've hit all I can name for RPG protagonists that aren't essential, aren't either human or might as well be human. Yeah. I'm sure there's more out there if we really put our brains to it, because there's just some really weird games out in the weeds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Q maybe? One of the Q games? <laughs> maybe. Let's see. And, and of course, oh, if we're going into indie stuff, Ambition of the Slimes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I think at least one of the Q games is an RPG. Oh, oh Prinny. Oh, yeah. Although that's more of a Ghost and Goblin style game, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Prinny 1 and 2 recently re-released for Switch. Dude. 
Dude. Dude. Okay, I'm, you I'm checking. The, you have to say the full title of Printy 2, though. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just remember that because I was really bored and didn't have anything better to do, and because Printy 1 was announced around Christmas time, I actually did my own version of Twas the Night Before Christmas starring the Printies. It's in it's in one of my columns. Nice. Yes. And it actually turned out pretty well. <laughs> so that's something. Yeah. That's worth remembering. Oh no, it was Printy Two. It was the one. Yeah. The dawn of Operation Panties. There, I said it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, I looked it up. There is at least one Choto QRPG, and those are games where you just play as cars. So, just, just wanted to get that out of my head so that someone else had to suffer with it. Um, but why? Because it's the, your second favorite video game where you play as a car that can move and think for itself. What's the first? Cars 3, the video game? Yeah, Cars 3, Driven to Win. It's actually it's a totally fine racing game. By all accounts, yes. Is it better than Cars One though? Uh, Miles. Like both Cars One and Two are way, way better than that piece of garbage. I, I assume you mean Two and Three. Uh, two and Three, yes. Sorry. How do you feel about Cars Mater National Grand Prix? Anything with Mater in the title can just go to hell. How do you feel about uh, Cars Race-O-Rama? It's probably also terrible. Yeah. The world of Cars Online? That's not a real thing, is it? That happened at some stage, apparently. Like, related mm-hmm. to the Cars movies? Yes. Ugh. That was the brief period where Disney had, like, five different, like, children's MMOs. And, like, oh, they just shut all of them down because, as it turns out, there wasn't enough interest in any one of them to make them work. <laughs> Disney has such a weird history with video games. Every like five or ten years they decide that they want to have their own game studio because games are profitable and then they realize how much money they're going to have to put into it before it turns a profit and they're like, no thanks. <sighs> and then they lay a shit ton of people off. Sucks. Don't trust them. Yeah. Uh see uh fire Miner, uh implies that they're holding back questions until we get through more of theirs so we should probably hit a few of those oh dear okay well uh, i've got the long ass q a list up here um and hopefully we don't repeat any because i keep highlighting yeah, if i catch if i catch any that sound familiar i'll bring it up apologies if it's bored anyone to re to re-answer those questions but yeah. they they themselves said it uh since the answer is, so it, it hasn't been all bad because given the, the okay. were more details given this time. Okay, I, I think we already did a number 14 about the Saturn being competitive. Yeah, we've done that. Okay, 13 here. Years ago, Peter Chung of Eon Flux fame made a detailed list of the differences between American and Japanese animation. On the top of the list is that American animators see their works through the lens of realism and seek to erase themselves from the fictional settings, while Japanese animators see through expressionism's lens and depict fictional worlds as what they mean to them. Can the same thing be applied to video games? 
I can't remember if we answered this or if I just thought about it a lot. So we'll um, do it again. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've touched on parts of this yeah. before, just randomly through other things. But what I was, I mean, the answer I was thinking of giving to it, which I don't think I've actually stated on the show, is um, that it's, I mean, just from my perspective here of not playing a lot of Western and playing tons and tons and literally tons of Eastern, um, it's, it's, uh, Western game developers seem to be focusing on creating a world to inhabit, and Japanese de developers focus on creating a world to experience. And this is not necessarily the same yeah. uh, goal. Like, a, so. a world to inhabit is supposed to exist with the Im implication of that you would, that it would go on without you. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, the world to experience is something that you would create with the intent of you should see what happened. You should be seeing everything that you can do here in as much as you can. At least that's how I would interpret it based on what you're saying, and I wouldn't disagree at all. Yeah. You can even see that in the differences of how, like, uh, how open world design has been approached by uh, both uh like broad spectrums of game development where uh a lot of western open world design has been focused on like on some level like creating something that feels reactive mm -hmm. uh whereas like you get something like Breath of the Wild which is which was a huge success and people really liked even though even people who said that they were, who felt they were sick of open worlds, in part because it's a world that's built to have all of these things to find. Like there's a lot of design content. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you can see that also in the kinds of art styles that end up getting favored as well. Mm hmm. Uh, but colors a, colors biggins uh see there's other there's a there's of course other aspects of it but i mean like even even something like uh the uh modern final fantasy games which are often going for at least a, a pseudo realism or at the very least like much more clearly uh anime inspired realism than something like uh any given like western open world game will like it, you know of course any 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 3d render eventually has to surrender itself to a certain amount of uh artistic license about how human features work because you know rendering and all that but uh it's often much harder to ascribe the artistic style that is going into a lot of Western developers in part because they're kind of working harder to hide it. Yeah. Uh, and like the only game I can think of that kind of does the same thing uh, from Japan would be Yakuza, which has its it couches its silliness in other places, but like its rendering style is much more, uh, just going for this is what a human looks like. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's what I would say about that. Uh, 
Okay. What do you think, Wheels? Uh, I have nothing to add. I think Wheels thinks I would like to stop being knocked off of this uh, yes. pillar. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's an interesting question, and if you asked us again uh, in a few weeks, we'd probably give a different answer. But uh, and that's the fun of it. Uh, let's see. Let me pull up my uh, copy of the list. See what goes there. Oh, was there a, there was like a recent fan translation that came out that I was thinking of bringing up, and now I can't remember what it was. Mm. Uh, check that while I'm at it. Okay, this isn't what I was thinking of, but I wanted to bring it up because I thought it was incredibly funny. Uh, which is, Sega is apparently doing like a weird like series on their own history that they're live streaming and then offering a quiz on in Japan. I think I saw something about that. And the most incredible thing about that is like when they look into things and can't find an answer... Uh, the, someone, so like Sega had, the Saturn was not a one-off Sega internally codenamed most of its stuff in the nineties after one planet or another. Mm -hmm. That's where Neptune eventually came from. Yeah. Neptune was supposed to be the Saturn, uh, not the Saturn, the Genesis plus 32 X in one. Uh, Pluto mm -hmm. was a Saturn with a, uh, with a net link modem built into it. Mm. Uh, I think a couple of those got manufactured. I think Venus or it was like Venus or something that uh, turned out to be the code name for the second nomad. Uh, but like, if you look through this, you'll find that uh, Mars was the 32 X by itself. Uh, but if you look through it, you'll find that there is a known object that a code name exists for, for almost every planet. Except Uranus. This is an outrage. There is no known Sega Uranus, and they looked through their they looked through their records, and they couldn't find they couldn't find if it was real or not. They could not work out whether there had ever been a Sega Uranus project or if they had just deliberately not used that name. Weird. Does so, I mean but, you could think of the obvious joke, but that wouldn't have worked in Japanese. Yeah, which is why it's, like, ambiguous as, like, did they just not use that name? Or, like, do they just not have a record of what it was? And it's Sega, so I'd believe both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, uh... That, that was just something I wanted to bring up because I thought it was incredibly funny. Uh, Uranus jokes are always funny. It's true. Uh, this is why Captain Underpants was great. Yes, you're, just you're that, working the fact that something. that was the thing that saved the movie. Yes, saving the movie. <laughs> yes. Okay, I think we did sixteen. Yeah, we definitely did sixteen. I remember us having trouble thinking of any uh, that were. I, I know we did fifteen. Yeah, we did fifteen. 
Yeah. I've got I've got some that are marked down myself, but I often trust you to mark them down, so I haven't been as. And sixteen was the one that we that I finished on last week, and then I handed it over to Phil for uh, Musso. Yeah, sixteen I've got marked down. Uh, Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Twenty-one. I think we did uh, favorite sizes because I think I ended up saying essentially like switch sizes anything i think because i remember complaining about the vita box size being too small i, I do kind of remember that so okay 21 personally first i like the japanese game boy advance boxes better oh those than are really cute ones. actually i wish they weren't cardboard but they're very nice they hold up surprisingly a... well over the years you can still find lots of games in box in this country yeah, yeah, I actually, I have one, because I, like, in the brief period after Ace Attorney 1 came out, I wanted to at least own Ace Attorney 3 in case that never got re-released in English. And then it did, but I was just, it was a very nice little box that I was happy to have. Uh... Let's see. What we got here? The next one I have that isn't marked is 24, although I think I... I definitely, it feels like something I would have rattled off the answer to fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, I I'll don't just, remember ever mentioning this one. Okay, I'll rattle it off fairly quickly because they both have fairly definitive answers. Uh, will SNK stop making fighting games for a while to develop a new Crystallis or Athena? No. Um, <laughs> or are they just uh, living under the shadow of KOF, Fatal Fury, and Sh Samurai Showdown? So the SNK's majority stake... Uh, actually just changed hands from a Chinese company to some tentacle of the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Oh. Uh, like like the, the killer one, so oh. that's a little uncomfortable. Oh, boy. Uh, but the, the broader problem here is that anyone who'd be interested in buying SNK at this point is buying them for their their catalog of IPs and the only ones that are recognizable are the ones that are in King of Fighters and Samurai Showdown. So that's that's just never going to happen. Uh, and then the second half of this question was about who holds the rights to the Shadow Hearts franchise. Uh, someone tracked down Kodelka not too long ago because I think that got a re-release not that long ago. Uh, but it's probably, in some fashion, like it was developed by Sacknoth, but uh, God only knows if they actually retained any rights to it. They almost assuredly must have been eaten by this point. Uh, yeah, they were absorbed into Aruze, which was the former, which is like three ownerships of SNK ago, I think. Uh so presumably Aruze owns it. Uh, Aruze is mostly a pachinko company, so the odds of those ever coming back are very unlikely unless someone else approaches them about it. Uh, theoretically, the only one who might have a dog in that fight who might care would likely be Hiroki Kikuta, who I think most people would know as the composer to several Mana games, notably Secret of Mana. Mm. Uh, assuming I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, Hiroki Kikuta. Uh, originally obtained with funding, founded with funding from Aruze, uh, from SNK, who was then bought by Aruze, uh, who then sold off the SNK portion, but kept the Sacknoth portion, portion and apparently 
absorbed it at some stage. So yeah, the answer would seem to be Aruze owns it, and they probably don't give a shit. Uh, I need to applaud your ability to actually come up with this information on command. <laughs> Listen, I have wasted a lot of my life. <laughs> <laughs> have you? Have you really? I, I need you to understand. I know this instead of anything useful. <laughs> See, I have 25 marks. useful right now, so... Like, this, the, the reason I have to be on a podcast is if I don't use this information, I die. So... <laughs> And a podcast is the only place this information is useful. Uh, let's see. We, we answered 25 according to my notes. 26. A common theme. Uh, a common theme I have seen with many Japanese sci-fi literature and film is the feeling of nothing will change in Japan and the grotesqueness of that situation. Are there any games that address this? I know. I mean, there's some games that get really hilarious with how how much they will try to keep Japanese culture the same despite everything else in the world going crazy. Yeah. And of course, I've definitely, like a lot of seminal sci-fi animations at the very least are sort of about how people will try to drag things that we should leave behind far into the future. It's probably at yeah. least three Gundams about that. But... At least... I will never get over that the villain of Turn A Gundam, which is the best Gundam show. Everyone should see that one. But the villain of Turn A Gundam is basically a guy who wants to be a samurai, even though it doesn't make any sense. And he just wants to play war games, even though there's nothing to go to war over. So he gives a reason for a war. He just he just finds a he just engineers a reason to keep going to war so that he can live out a samurai fantasy. So, yeah. But yeah, uh, so yeah, I do get where you're coming from with that. Uh, but I can't think of, like the, it's certainly like, I'm, I'm starting with the framing of RPGs and like, I can't think of a lot of Japanese sci-fi RPGs to begin with. Megaten. Megaten kind of, yeah. And that Megaten one, is this weird thing, yes. There are, there are definitely sci-fi Megaten games. It's demon punk. Yeah, uh, but like those ones definitely do fall into the concept of humans are just going to human regardless of what happens. Yep. Like it's it's a it's not exactly a sanguine take on the future. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of like the one like I mean you can. I mean, they kind of make a statement of intent partway through SMT one when the when Japan just gets nuked again. So, lot, lot. I mean, that's that's probably colors a lot of Japanese sci-fi is that like this is a country where the pinnacle of weapons technology was horrifically dropped on them, and the psychic there is that, that yes. yields to an entire nation. So, yeah, and. So you end up with an entire series of movies about a giant colossal monster destroying the country as a stand-in for nuclear Armageddon. And then, of course, the first one is also like just taking this very complicated uh, like response to that of like, well, the only thing that can kill it is a weapon that's even worse than that, and that therefore the only responsible way to use such a weapon is to make sure that the person, the people that made it, 
are incapable of making it again by dying. <laughs> yeah. Original Godzilla and, is a trip of a film. And all because somebody watched um, Harryhausen's Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and thought, I would really like to do that. I don't blame him. Did a good job yeah. on it. <laughs> but then they realized that, hey, the claymation and the claymation costs too much to do, so they just put somebody in a rubber suit. Original Godzilla, like, if, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is absolutely still a classic film worth seeing. Uh, yeah. Espe- perhaps especially if you've seen other Godzilla movies, so that you can see how wildly they ended up departing the tone and mood of the original. <laughs> the original is not a happy film. <laughs> nope. Yeah, and like you can, I've mentioned this before, and I think it's always worth reiterating, you can sort of see a charting both of what can, what kinds of things sell to a broad movie going audience and Japan's relationship with nuclear power in the U.S. in how Godzilla works, where Godzilla becomes like Japan's protector from even more (laughs) horrifying monsters. Yeah. So... Of course, that then, also hooks back into Shin Megami Tensei 1, where Tokyo gets nuked by the American ambassador, who's actually yep. the god Thor in disguise. Yep. Always an uneasy alliance, as is nature of... Uh, yeah, so we blew up some places like in an un- and caused unimaginable horror. But now we're going to so try we- to stop that from happening again, maybe, but don't necessarily trust us for obvious reasons. <laughs> We were forced to destroy the village in order to save it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot to. There's so many analyses you could make of the post-war relationship of the U.S. and Japan, and like how it's been reflected over the decades. But yeah, uh, but I think that colors a lot of Japanese like sci-fi interpretations of the future. And then, there's, of course, there's also the fact that like. Most most enduring sci-fi outside of Star Trek is about the present. Like even Star yeah. Trek is about the present, but it's about like the idea of what if the terrible things about our present get left behind. Whereas like, uh, you know, like most sci-fi is like using the lens of the future to examine like specific societal problems now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you get down to it, science fiction is almost always more about the present that is writing it than the future it's supposed to be showing. Yeah, because it's just, it's it's the long human history of uh, getting allegorical to get around people yelling at you for what you're saying. Very much, yeah. But, yeah. And that's, a, that's, of course, why oftentimes, you know, uh, sci-fi that's super relative relevant and predictive is also very depressing. <laughs> yeah. Uh... So I was following a comment, uh, comments thread on movies that couldn't be made nowadays. Yeah. And most of the time it was just the, whoever was giving the opinion was basically going on an anti um, social justice warrior rant Jesus. and not actually getting the point. But yeah. the best one I could think of was the movie. Um, oh, what was it? Um, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take it anymore. I think I've heard of that, yeah. Oh. I'm just, I'm blanking on the name now. Yeah, Um, I recognize that quote. I'm trying to remember what it is myself. It was a one-word title. Um, 
But yeah, basically, it was intended to be a satirical dark comedy on the nature of the um, of American media, etc. Yeah. And the reason why it couldn't be made today is because nobody would recognize it as a comedy. Yeah, was or a network? parody. Network. That was it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was a dark comedy parody, and if you made it today, it would be considered a documentary. Yeah, like it just it it just would no longer be relevant because it's like no, the prediction already happened. I'm sorry, it's too late. It's like it was supposed to be a pair a satire, folks, not a list of instructions. Yeah, and yeah, here we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, much much. This question is depressing. Uh, maybe let's uh, let's move on before I get sad. You got any wheels? Nah. Okay, uh, we'll hit 27 as well, since I don't have that one marked down either. Yeah. Uh, recently have a friend who pointed out how weird it is people focus so much on game sales figures, because if games are art, then quality should have uh, been more important than sales, sales figures. Is this the right mindset? I suppose one uh, reason people think uh, that way is because games are expensive, risky investments, and it's harder to boast about a game. The game bankrupts the developers. Well, a lot of it is also just yeah. that, like, Engaging with art is long and ambiguous and ends up being like people writing 9,000 word essays about like the underlying themes and how like they grapple with modern society or don't. <laughs> and that's really, really hard to do and usually requires a lot of time investment. Whereas talking about sales figures is unambiguous and requires you to Google. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Plus, I mean, in the end, quality does not necessarily pay for the project. That's the other thing. People like talking about sales figures because, it, like, if something sold well and they liked it, it means, well, then there'll probably be more of it. It's very rare that you get a game that doesn't happen because, like, the people, uh, even though it sold well, I guess would be the way I would describe it. Like, one of the only things I can think of uh, in terms of, and like, this is, this is something that I think about every so often because it, it baffles me every time I see people clamoring for another one, even though the one person you would want on the project doesn't seem to want to make it. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can guess. <laughs> uh, which one? I was thinking of people complaining that there isn't a mother for. Uh, yes. Uh, Etoid does not seem to want to make a mother for. <laughs> But I still occasionally see people being like, why isn't Nintendo making Mother 4? And it's like, that is like the one thing that they are treating as art. They are saying that it is the work, that it is not a proper Mother game if it doesn't have Shigesato Itoi on it, and thus choosing not to use the legal rights they probably have to it, and instead just letting that series be what it was. Mm -hmm. Like that, that is one of those rare things where a game actually is treated by art as it's treated as art by its publisher, which is yes. another thing that makes this debate complicated is that most publishers don't view these things as art. They will use art as a way to sell like artistic accolades as a way to sell them, but they don't think of them in that fashion. <laughs> uh, other ones I can think of is that, uh, like, we, we talked about them earlier, but, like, there is a singular thumbprint upon Saga games, and while there have been Saga games 
without Kawazu. Kawazu is the steward of the brand, the only, the one that continually fights for it to continue to exist. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's going to become of it once he retires or passes. But I'm sure that they'll do something with it, but I don't think that it will continue to see attempts at like new actual games. It'll probably just descend into occasional gotcha and tie-ins. Which they already have. Yeah, yeah. There's like Imperial Saga and Reuniverse and all that. Yeah. Emperor Saga, Imperial Saga, Reuniverse. Um, but you might see some of the people from development. Um, you might see more things like the Alliance Alive, where the old developer group just went and made something similar. Yeah, and that's fine. That's a healthy way to do things. Yeah, in a way that could get around any licensing issues. Mm-hmm. And it's like Saga to me is really more an attitude than anything else. There's and some mechanics that. There's there's some mechanics that are consistent, but Saga is like a relentless willingness to uh, to build RPGs that are designed to be unsolvable, and to build RPGs that are allowed to have intentional ambiguity in a way that most RPGs aren't allowed to have, mm-hmm. both in plotting and in mechanics. Usually, uh, people want to see very normalized ratios of, like, when things happen. It reminds me of, uh, I saw people, people went nuts a few, about a month or so ago, because someone, uh, was, uh, people on my Twitter timeline, I should say, which means, like, 15 people, but, uh, those people were going nuts over, uh, people, someone pulled out, like, the actual, uh, like, hit rate chances in uh, Fire Emblem and compa- compared them to what the game shows them as being. And like, mm-hmm. after about Fire Emblem 5 or 6, they start fudging them. Huh. Like, they'll show you a different number than what it has internally, and it will always be to try to make it feel more like what your brain thinks it should be. Huh. <laughs> so like, once you get into those high 90s, you're at essentially 100% rate. Uh, like, High numbers skew higher, and I think low numbers skew lower. But it's like it's it's very specifically skewed because it's like we're trying it's to give the player information and have them act on it in a certain way. So they just fudge the numbers. <laughs> but uh, I think that one of the things that uh, defines a saga game to me is giving you an incomplete set of information, essentially enough information to understand on some level how things like character growth or uh, ability growth works, but obfuscating enough that you don't actually know... uh, You don't know enough to plan out how your character is going to work. You're just supposed to roll with what it gives you. Yep. And I think that, like, to me, that's the attitude. That's the saga game attitude. And that's why you can have, uh, I can, you can instantly feel when a game isn't that, like Saga 3. Uh, and you can instantly feel it in games that otherwise depart heavily, like Alliance Alive. So, that'd be the way I would describe it. Uh, <laughs> and that's why games are art. 
the interplay of mechanics and attitude. <laughs> See, I tied it back to the question. That well, also because they're pretty. <laughs> Most of the time. Listen, if I thought that a game merely being pretty made it good art, I would not have so so many unkind things to say about Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> oh, I like Shadow of the Colossus, though. I I liked Eco more, and like Shadow of the Colossus to me was like, this is the disappointing follow-up. <laughs> I liked Last Guardian it, more. This is a very different game. It's a very different game, but it's trying to convey much of the same mood, and it, but it just sort of feels worse. Last Guardian I dislike much more because Shadow of the Colossus is at least a different game, whereas Last Guardian is eco if it didn't play good. Well, see, <laughs> I'm I, doing it. I'm hurting wheels right now. Why? The, the Was puppy... that for me or you're just getting ambushed by 16 skeleton armors? Uh, both. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, this, is, this is no man's war fight. I, this is expected. That doesn't bother me at all. I'll give you the brief rundown, Wheels. I got to a puzzle in The Last Guardian where I spent, like, an hour and a half trying to work out what to do and assumed that, like, it seemed simple, but every time I tried to get that stupid griffin dog to do anything, he just didn't. So I was like, oh, I must be missing something. Rebooted the game, uh, played it a day later. No, I was doing exactly right. The dog was stupid and didn't do the puzzle properly. Or maybe he was mad because he called him a stupid griffin dog. I hadn't called him a stupid griffin dog at the time. He was just bugging out. He can see into the future. That doesn't feel accurate to that game's narrative. <laughs> I think you're misremembering. No. Trust me. <laughs> I ranted about it at the time. Do you want me to go back through my uh, Twitter that I tweeted a storm of ear fury at it like two days after I played it? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, uh, it's like it's it's hard to analyze like games as as art analysis is still relatively uh, still a relatively young form of criticism, uh, and people are. Even people whose job it is are still working at ways to properly like contextualize and examine them and exam what parts of them merit examination. Like you have to determine like for a lot of them, you're for most of them really, you're going to have to determine like how their mechanics underpin like the themes that they're trying to bring across and whether that works. Moon, uh, moon. Uh. Or, like, if you want, like, the most brain-dead example I can think of, but, hey, I was just playing it. Uh, like, this is, this is like, the 101 on making your mechanics reflect the narrative goals of your story, even if, like, there's no actual meaningful thematic goal here. There's probably a little bit of one, but, I'll, but for this case. Uh, I was playing Devil May Cry 5, as I mentioned, and that is a game about how, uh, at least in part whose narrative is about how impossible it is to design games around the protagonist of Devil May Cry because they've given him too many abilities and he's too complicated to play. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> the plot of that game ends up giving him even crazier abilities 
and showcasing that he's just too strong at this stage. And by the end of the game, he needs to be sidelined in some fashion before Devil May Cry 6, because there is no way to make a game around him anymore. <laughs> that uh, is so wonderfully they, meta. Yeah, and so, like, his moveset in 5 just evolves every stage he's in. It gets bigger, it gets stronger, it incorporates in more complicated features. <laughs> And, of course, it also reaches the point where one of his abilities can that he has access to at all times is just an ability to bet on himself. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, that is the 101 of, like, simple concept, simple execution. You see this in, you know, uh, like, RPGs often incorporate this by having uh, friendship mechanics and how those interact with the game. Uh, like... I think that the fact that this is actually resonant with players is part of why things like Persona got so popular, is that intermingling a traditional party dynamic with a uh, life sim, dating sim mechanic uh, makes you makes parties resonate with players a lot more. And like, if you're making a game that is about how, like cooperation... Those Jolly mechanics, or or not, but okay. <laughs> uh, those mechanics uh, fit with what you're attempting to do. We've we've even gotten this question before in a sidelong way uh, about. Uh, I remember years ago we got the question of like why strategy RPGs are almost always like games about war, and it's just like mechanically they they un the underpinnings of those mechanics help tell war stories. And it's it becomes harder to tell non-war stories just by virtue of how many characters that a like that a strategy RPG needs to have on in the battle at once to maintain interesting strate- strategic options. But yeah, this is complicated, and this is why people usually just talk about sales numbers mm-hmm. instead. Mm-hmm. Anyone else got things to say? I apologize for ranting like that. I'm going to say you were talking about like party sizes for a strategy RPG, and I'm thinking I would really like to see Kakarimbo Battle Tactics come back again. What's that one? I've never seen that. Squad-based hide-and-go-seek tactics. Oh, oh, you told us about this. I remember this. Yeah, I, I mention it occasionally, and it is it was fun. And, and yeah, interesting to see a non-war-based strategy RPG. I mean, it was I mean, it was a dungeon dive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you're just hunting monsters in the dark, literally in the dark. But it was also quite unlike anything else I've played. So yeah, I always love those. Like even just throwing a weird theme under onto this kind of mechanics can create interesting synchronicities on what these mechanics are good at portraying. So. Yeah. Sorry, just trying to catch up with what uh, questions we seem to have answered before. I think we've answered 35. Let's see. So definitely, I definitely remember ranting about uh, how secretly influential Sakura Tyson was to RPGs as a whole. Um, Let's 
keep going down the list here. Let's yeah. see. Uh, 35 was the next one that wasn't marked down on my list. So that's oh, really? You did number 28? Number 28 is... Gambling minigames? Uh, yeah. I was going to say, that looks like something you guys would have done while I was not around. Yeah, because I was talking about Yakuza. Because there's a bunch yeah. of stuff about Mahjong. I remember bringing it up. I think I talked about how impenetrable Mahjong is for uh, North American players because so unless few... you, Unless your family is either Chinese or Jewish. Yeah, like there's just no... Uh, like so many of these games are built around... You already know how to play Mahjong. <laughs> So yeah. there's like basically no tutorial for how any of it works. I, I remember trying to play it on Devil Summoner Rido One, and it was like this took me a while to figure out. Yeah, I remember because like like there are some kinds of like Yakuza is full of this kind of mini game. I remember uh, one of the things that was cut from the PS3 version and apparently restored in the PS4 version of Yakuza Three, and I can't even imagine how it works. Is uh. There is like a kanji trivia mini game. It's just the most impenetrable. Like, how would, <laughs> how, how would you like the? It's just go look up a guide if you're ninety percent of the people who are going to play it in English. Let's see. Uh, I don't know that we've hit thirty six. Uh, play the old and forgotten Doom RPG on my old Java phone and generally had a good time with it. I wonder still if building a first-person dungeon-crawling game with so many hidden secrets, leaps of faith, and courtyards full of monsters like any normal Doom map would be counterintuitive to the players. I think that's mostly a space that's been taken over by the Souls games Wheels is I'm, playing right now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've actually mentioned some, or gone over something like that because I remember... T- discussing whether or not Beyond the Labyrinth would count as a first-person oh, yeah. RPG. Yeah, that Crime Cracker is the actual first-person shooting RPG I've played and didn't uh, do very uh, well. Crime, there are two Crime Crackers. The first, they're both from the yeah. Wild Arms developer. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the... Okay. Yeah. Did, did, to run down... Did you talk about Gun Parade March? Yeah, we did. We talked about the the things that would be influenced that are brought up in the question of like, is there, uh, are there any other games that started or codified specific elements, but still remain unlocalized in the known outside of Japan? And I think I brought up like other things that do the dating sim RPG and that are influential in that fashion, which is why I started ranting about Sakura Tyson probably like three months ago. <laughs> Cause like that was very influential to that list of, uh, to that subgenre. But, yeah, can't say as I've ever played Gun Parade March itself. But... Uh-huh. Let's see, many action RPGs let you turn off the option to show the number of damage you did with your attack. Feels like an intuition thing that everyone forgets to add. Uh, I think a lot of action RPGs kind of leave that in just to keep in some RPG flavor. Uh, and also do the opposite of that the uh final fantasy mystic quest which just had life bars that were not with numbers by default 
Yeah. Uh, good times. Yeah, Pal Shinkin and Setsu also did not bother to put numbers on a lot of things that should have had numbers. You got, you got a lot of things against Pal Shinkin and I uh, it's one of the <laughs> lowest numbered reviews I've ever given. One and a half. Oh, something like that. Um, I mean, any lower, and I would not have finished it. Wow. For the, I mean, actually, no, I did not actually finish it because, but I was able to prove that the final boss I was trying to beat was such a, like, literally going to take me an hour and a half of very simple tactics to beat if I could. Okay, yeah, I found your review. One and a half. Yeah. Yikes. And it's a dog's life. Yeah. Yep, yep. The, the positives. Nice music. Villains are hilarious. Never used to their potential, but... Heavily unbalanced by the end. One-on-one -on -one with a final boss is a bad idea. Critical information is left hidden. Yes. Uh... Uh, yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna hear about a very depressingly bad RPG. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Funny enough, this I actually linked to a fan art I made of one of the, of one of the villains in the game. <laughs> in the in the review, just because it was so ridiculous. Should uh, should make the should make the protagonist a Palshin content that's uh, fight. Uh, Fight alongside Pochi in a better Mad Max Xeno Reborn too. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Yeah, there was one. I can't remember who it was, but there's one person on the forums who was really, really, really like enamored with this game just because the of the villains list. It was just so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, dude, how long? How much have you actually played in this game? And he's like, well, I got about eight hours in. And I'm like, you needed to get farther. Uh, I promise you, it's all downhill. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, the villains keep getting weirder and weirder, but it's like you, you never go anywhere with them. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the the rest of the questions that we have should probably eventually be gone through a century in sequence. We've got about ten or so more, but not necessarily right now. But uh, let's see, my next one that's not marked is thirty nine. To ask a dating sims and RPGs be choice based or mini games. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever played a mini game for that that I would have preferred over just letting I mean, me choose you're, something. If, if you're going to have something like that in the game, make the game a dating sim with RPG elements and not the other way around. Yeah. I mean, put the effort into it to make it decent instead of... Uh, okay, different awful game time. Athea. I don't think I've heard you talk about that one. Well, among its many, uh, you've heard me go on at the battle system with the formations that are almost always out of formation when you start a battle. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And also, um, you end up with, I mean, just walking through an area, you will be randomly stopped every 10, 10 to 15 steps by one of the other characters who wants to have a conversation with you. <laughs> and the ending is definitely influenced by whoever 
feels the best towards you by the end. And most of that is based on battle conduct, but some, a lot of it's also on these conversations. But the conversations always end up with a simple question of like yes or no or something like that. And 95% of the time, the top answer is the better answer. I mean, there's no real nuance here. No, nothing else is just we have these very simplistic questions. Hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, like I- introducing an element of dexterity into these does not typically end up feeling like you can't really properly simulate human interaction with just a script, but introducing an element of dexterity to them doesn't really feel like it fixes the problem. It just kind of makes it more irritating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I don't, I don't really feel like mini games typically help. But one of the, th- this is not a dating sim. But one of the things it makes me think of is, uh, is uh, Danganronpa, which is a fairly compelling uh, <coughs> adventure game about that's you know like betrayal and murder mystery and all that, and. Every time you get to the point where you have to, like, solve the mystery, you are hit with just this litany of shitty minigames. Just constant, constant, like, oh, how well, you can, uh, how will you solve this? Well, you've got to play Hangman now. Like, you, if you know the answer, you just start guessing the right things to the Hangman. It's just like, stop, I just... I know the answer. Just let me say what the answer is. All these mini games just make it worse. I am getting. I am playing the game in spite of them. And like that's that's kind of the way that I feel about this kind of thing in general. Intruding upon something that is trying to spice up something that's technically mostly dialogue. You typically just end up distracting from the dialogue. And maybe that's good if your dialogue sucks. But if your dialogue's good, I'm just getting irritated at it. If your dialogue was worth hearing in the first place, I probably would have preferred to just have a choice. Uh, Okay. Uh, I think we did 42, so I'll mark that one down. So, went through all the might and magic ones too, right? Uh, I don't think we did the Stark Messiah of Might and Magic one, but I think it's got kind of a boring answer, sadly. Uh, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic, for those who don't recall, given that there's like 9 million Might and Magic games, and many of them have very uh, generic names. Dark Messiah of Might and Magic was a sort of first-person action RPG uh, made by the people who would go on to make Dishonored, and if you know anything about Dishonored, you can kind of see that lineage in it, because a lot of that game is casting ice on the floor and tripping people. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's kind of neat. Uh, I liked it. I have a friend who loves it, but, you know, it didn't really go anywhere. I think it's one of those situations where a lot of its problem was that it was exclusively a PC game in 2006, which was not a healthy time to be exclusively a PC game. Uh, it did eventually come out on the 360 in a heavily compromised port that's not very good by all accounts. Uh, 
But I think at that point, kind of the ship had sailed. It didn't become the out-of-the-gate success it needed to be for Ubisoft to keep pushing at it. So it just kind of fell by the wayside. Arcane had a difficult couple of years. Uh, and then, you know, from there we get uh, their history of slightly more successful, heavily undermarketed games like uh, the 2017 Prey or uh, Dishonored 2. And the forthcoming Death Loop, which looks pretty good too. But yeah, I think it's one of those things. You can get a lot of what you're getting out of Dark Messiah in some of their other games, but I can understand missing more of that. But I was also at a period of low confidence in the Might and Magic brand as a whole. But I'm still sad. <laughs> Aww. Let's see. But yeah, that's the Might and Magic one. And will we see a Might and Magic Heroes 8 after the debacle that was 7? Uh, I think our best chance to answer that was actually last week when Phil was ranting about them for a while. Uh, so I think, because I, I know people who are into the broader Might and Magic franchise, but I am not. I don't know anything about Might and Magic Heroes. Uh, my gut feeling says they'll do more Might and Magic because that's just one of those franchises that they'll occasionally make a generic fantasy game and sort of end up retrofitting Might and Magic onto it. But not uh, not convinced about anything else. But who knows? Maybe maybe since the time this was this question was written, there's been an announcement of Might and Magic Heroes Eight, and I end up looking silly. We'll find out. <laughs> When was Might and Magic uh, Hero 7? Let's see, how old is this? Turn-based strategy game? Okay, yeah, I've heard of Might and Magic Heroes. Also, that explains part of why I was so confused by it. There was a franchise called Heroes of Might and Magic that apparently eventually got changed into Might and Magic Heroes, probably to strengthen the brand. Uh, Might and Magic Hero 7 was apparently five years ago. Yeah, I think I think that part of the brand is probably yeah. uh, toast for the time being. And as long as things like strengthening the brand is an actual legitimate issue, you're not going to see a lot of games as art. Yeah, that's also a thing. Also, apparently at some point Ubisoft went out of their way to say that they wouldn't be making more of them, so that's harsh. Uh, two months after the release of the last expansion, Ubisoft announced that further game development was halted, which left many critical bugs unresolved. Yeah, I think they just wanted to cut and run on that part of the franchise. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. It's gone. So, yeah. Uh, I think we've got about... Six to ten questions left, depending upon how many of these I haven't we haven't actually answered before. So, and I've got forty five minutes before I need to pick up daughters from nursery school because we are going really late today. Yeah, so we should probably just cut it because I think Wheels is asleep in his chair. Uh, it's nearly two a.m. for him. So, uh, Wheels. Yep. Are you awake? Mostly. Okay, we should probably cut and run. <laughs> Gaijin, yes. plugging time. Oh, oops, almost forgot. Yes. 
So, yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu. That's available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, currently, nine episodes and one side story available for ebook. And two paperback collections going on three as soon as I actually get through the last of the editing. Um, and uh, hoping to do just a an author's birthday sale next month. Oh, nice. Yeah. Also, hope you have a good birthday next month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Available where Kindle books are sold. <laughs> but, Which is yeah. online. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's available. Uh, questions go in the podcast section of the Discord, or they go in the comments section of this very episode. Or they go inside Wheels' skull. Um, uh, okay. Or they he burrow down deep vaguely. and gestate into more questions. <laughs> we can only hope. But, yeah. Yeah. Or gestate into answers. But meanwhile, uh, the, the request would be Fireminer threatened that they have like 60 questions <laughs> just waiting. For the so. new year, dude. Uh, so hopefully we hear from that uh let's see i actually lost track of how many questions in my list you guys have answered i'm still waiting for everything to be answered for posting the second batch it is already 60 questions long that's terrifying i'm excited uh but yeah we'll we're trying to go down and make sure that we hit everything as i think you'll hopefully have noticed this episode uh and maybe, you know, let us know if something, if you wanted more out of something. And that goes for anyone. If there's like a question you would like re-examined or a question you want to ask, hey, don't, don't let Fireminer show you up. <laughs> also, thank you to uh, PlatyM3 for our other question uh, about human or humanoid in appearance, non-human or humanoid in appearance, uh, RPG protagonists. Apologies, we came up fairly thin. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, in conclusion, play Tama Adventurous Ball in Giddy Labyrinth. Uh, and see you, Space Cowboys. <laughs> I don't know if we'll stop the recording. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. You are up. Uh-huh.